Hello and welcome to Glaswegian Geeks. Today we are doing a very special horror show. Our first horror show. And as such, we have a guest on board who is going to help us delve into the dark depths of hell with horror films. Chris? Hello. Welcome to the show. I thought you were going to call me special there. No, <laughs> I haven't called you special. Not to my face. Ah, wait, wait till you go. You yeah. Uh, yes, hello. Tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what you like. Uh, yeah, well I, well, I like horror films, obviously. I like things that are a little bit strange and a little bit dark. Take the usual kind of darker side of the geeky kind of stuff. I did film and television for many years at college and uni and now professionally pour coffee for a living. That's professionally pouring coffee I do it very professionally. I might not do it like well, but I do it professionally. Okay, yeah, okay, that's that's good. So, which with some of your favourite horror films? Oh, we don't have that amount of time. Uh, it can be anything, really. I mean, obviously, I grew up watching a lot of horror films. Uh, being a little bit older, uh, I was kind of around for the whole video nasty scare. So, Halloween was always the kind of a big thing. It was the very first one I remember seeing. And pretty much anything 80s kind of based has always been good for me. I was a big fan. Of, I'm a big fan of slasher films and Italian giallo films as well. That all kind of came a little bit later. But pretty much... It's like pizza. There's no such thing as bad pizza. There's no such thing as a bad horror film. Well, pineapple on pizza is bad. It depends where you get it from. <laughs> Do you know what? Actually, this is a really boring fact in this middle. Do you know why you ha- they put pineapple and ham together? It's because in Hawaii, there used to be a tradition of they would eat human flesh. And if you put pineapple on human flesh, it breaks down the fat. So that's why they put it onto pork, because it breaks down the fat of the pork quite well. There's a really boring fact for you about pineapple on pizza. Every day's a school day. Yeah, folks. so think of that uh, next time you naysay it. You go, this is technically a cannibalistic pizza. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> Mario! I also well, know lots of facts about things, so <laughs> that's another thing about me. Yeah, so if, if anybody's interested, we now ha- we've n- we're now going to be schooled by Chris. As I think that's what we should do every time we have a horror cast. You just have a, a, a natural fact. And a, a weird, strange fact. I can do that. A podcast fact. That's that's what I like. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Fact shaming. Fact shaming. There you go. (laughs) I mean, okay. Pineapple and pizza. uh, Hawaiian pizza is now cannibalistic pizza, and we should all eat it. Anyway, so today we're talking about the classic horror film that scared the shit out of me as a kid, Nightmare on Elm Street. Still scares the shit out of me, James. Oh, no, no. It's quite funny now when you watch it, I think. Uh, It got funnier? I think as in the the sequels are funny, but I think the original is always, it is is quite scary, but it's, yeah, it's a bit hokey now looking at it, but I think it stands alone compared to taking it out of the the whole franchise. I think it is quite a good standalone kind of horror film. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm not even going to lie, this is one of the few movies that still gives me the fear at night, walking about the flat, dark, I'm still feared. I think it's the unpredictability of the killer. It's not just someone wandering about with like a mask on or kind of has a purpose to kill. It's the fact that he can, when you're in his world, he can do anything and he can manipulate it. Uh, I think the idea, it's very, it is very dreamlike, the idea that when dreams kind of take that weird turn sometimes where all of a sudden like something will happen and stuff like that. I think it, it does that quite well. There's all these kind of weird little elements of people running when it looks like they're running, but they're running quite slow and things like that happen in your dreams. That's what's scary about it. It's bringing those wee kind of creepy bits of dreams into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
the thing with Nightmare on Elm Street um, is that Freddy Krueger as a character is genuinely terrifying because he, from the get-go, enjoys what he's doing. He loves it. He lives for it. He's not a silent villain. Mm -hmm. And he very much establishes from the get-go that he is out to kill. He is out to do what he wants to do because he enjoys it. Yeah, I also think is, I think as well when you kind of watch the first one, especially, I think your ideas of like generally of Freddy Krueger are tainted by the whole series. But he doesn't say a lot in the first one. He makes doesn't make his puns. He's not like full of puns like he is in the other ones. And I think that's what makes him scary in this one. That he's just something really creepy about him and he does like outset wise when you just look at his silhouette which you see quite a lot in the film it doesn't show his face quite a lot he just looks like a normal guy and then it's the more he kind of gets closer to you when you realize that oh no there's something but then i don't know if that's a metaphor for child molesters Mm. it's pretty much maybe maybe um yeah i mean some of the scariest stuff i remember for this film is you know the bit like out in the street and he extends his arms and it's the long arms the claws and it's just from there that point you you really have to ask yourself what kind of killer he is i mean i mean this was out around the same time you know halloween things like that yeah and you know it was it was killers with knives and conventional weapons shall we say weapons that were used to whereas freddy he made a big deal about, even in his scariest times, not necessarily just his comedic times, but in his scariest times, um, you know, he had a the claw glove, the iconic yeah. claw glove, which wasn't really what you would expect for a killer. Yeah, and I think it kind of, I mean, that whole opening scene, especially in the original, when you see him constructing the claw and in the kind of the, the, the warehouse and doing that thing, and you kind of think, it, there is no you don't really know his purpose for it and that's the scarier part like because the fact that he was a springwood slasher and did this thing and he killed the kids and i think it's very ambiguous i think what we know now about the mythology of freddy krueger is it doesn't mention in this film at all that he was a child molester or anything like that it just implies that he killed children and he was a child killer and that was it i think the implication is there but it's very 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 subtle which makes it creepier when you think, well, what was he doing with that glove? What was he kind of creating it for? And it is, it's something very, very creepy about the the man himself as more as a human, I think, than an actual spiritual thing that he becomes. I think Freddy Krueger as a human is, is the idea of meeting him would be terrifying. Uh, I think that idea, I mean, I don't think they would ever do an origin story on Freddy Krueger, but that way that if you saw that, that'd be scary. Yeah, me and James spoke about uh, this movie a while ago and we got into the subject of the whole child molester thing. Was it mentioned? It's not mentioned. Not at all. But in the, I think it was 2011-2012 reboot, they outright Heavy-handed went with it, yeah. And it kind of, I think it, not that it ruined it, I mean that remake was not great, but it's that way that it took the kind of subtlety out of it and I think when you've visually saw it it didn't look good it actually made me feel really uncomfortable yeah. weirdly in the cinema and it was this kind of way that they took this character and then kind of they took all the elements they just made him really sinister and it was no and i'm not like a big fan of like freddie's comedy or anything like that but this idea of basically saying this is what he did this is what he was doing i think the implication is a lot more terrifying um it's what you actual, don't yeah. see yeah exactly I mean, you knew he was taking those children to the basement and whatever he was doing and that's horrible. And obviously, 
the kids their parents killed them for a reason and you know what the reason was but to hand to, to show you it wasn't good it was kind of uncomfortable but they did confirm it in one of freddy's nightmares i think as well like the very first episodes when you does his court case i think they they say that he's, it was it was child molester because i think they kind of realized everyone picked up on it as well yeah the the actual whole plot of the of who freddy is and why he did what he did you know it it is very uncomfortable, especially in the remake. I'd, don't get me wrong, the remake did things right. I think casting Jesse Earl Jones was probably the best character, but he was just fresh from playing Rorschach at the time in Watchmen. And every, when he was cast, people were like, well, he's going to be dark. So the film didn't lie to you when it said, oh, this is going to be dark. But it's abs- there's no comparison between the originals and the remake. And that's yeah. what makes a remake flawed when there's no actual t- relevance to the original. The only relevance is, is that it kills people in his sleep. Yeah. But the idea was the remake was to be a flat-out scare fest. It was to try and scare you. It was to try and be dark and uncomfortable. A bit different to, you know, Rob Zombie's Halloween, which did, in my opinion, could go hand-in-hand hand with the originals. Yeah, I think they just expanded on the idea of what it was they said it in a more contemporary setting which the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street didn't do there were so many elements that could have been great in the remake like the whole micronap thing and when the physical dream thing was amazing looking and I think he looked really good as Freddy like the burn victim looked really really well but they just were so many missed opportunities that it was actually in the CGI as well it just was so bad that it just took the what made Nightmare on Elm Street is. It's really difficult because I remember when this came out properly. I mean, I remember the first time I ever saw it as well. So that would have been about 1985, 1986. And it's... Nothing was like this out at the time. So it was terrifying and it really was scary. It was one of those films that you took to, like, your friend's house but you couldn't tell anyone or you had a copy of it in video and you would get into trouble for having it. Because it really was, like, quite hardcore. It was quite scary. It was something that, like, your parents would never let you watch properly. And now it's this way that these films are so easily accessible and been around for so long that I think a lot of generation now, like a younger generation, maybe would watch this original and just think, oh, it's not very good or it's not up to standard. or, And that's a bit sad because I, I think it's like the whole idea that, yeah, a lot of people, I know people who do like the remake and they've never seen the original, which is really depressing. But um, you can't beat going back and kind of the innocence of this time that's kind of what it works on innocence and the fact is yeah this worked really well in the 80s i don't think it it doesn't hold up maybe nostalgia wise it holds up but i don't think it would hold up now but that's a product of its time like most films i think the major thing that i love about movies in the 80s and early 90s is the practical effects yeah like the fact that they constructed an entire room upside down to get two major uh, kill scenes done yeah. is absolutely beautiful to me. Like, yeah. it, you know yourself now, it would just be CGI blood and whatever, and it would just look horrible, fake, rotten. This, in movies like Alien and Aliens, where it's costumes, it's actual practical effects, yeah. making things on, <laughs> on like, what is it? Uh, I was... No, like, a, what is it, a pivot? It was a rotating stage. Yeah, yeah. a rotating stage. Like, making that, like, yeah. taking time to it's do that easy, yeah. is shown that it's putting effort in, where yeah. now it's just like, ah, oh, create this, make it look kind of shiny, whatever, boom, done. Yeah, and it probably costs more money 
to do it the new way than it does the old way and it is i think people kind of they don't like to this idea they don't like to see the seams and stuff i mean you know when you're watching that film you know that's a rotating room and it's amazing to see that and i think as well freddie's makeup in this is amazing looking it's really sinister looking compared to i think it gets more polished as the films go on yeah they do when they try to when he kind of becomes more of a kind of cultural icon kind of thing uh i think this in the second one his makeup's amazing and also new nightmare yeah makeup's amazing because they kind of take it back to being quite scary uh which is the way it should be because the fact is he is scary i mean how scary is that house i mean the house alone is terrifying the house is iconic and i kind of love that about it it's a house it's just a simple house with a, a red door and a green roof but still to this day if you see a picture of that house you know exactly what film that's from and i think it's a big thing of this normality as well there's all these things that are like normal suburbia there's something really creepy unhinged underneath it all that you're seeing fabulous so chris is going to take you on a journey um i think i think you should explain to the audience um what what quite happens in this film this is the spoiler part where you get to okay tell everybody everything well basically it's a simple story it's a simple story of uh it's kind of hard to explain without kind of starting without you know and it basically there's a group of kids that seem to be getting terrorized all individually by their dreams they can't quite explain what's going on and then as the story starts to unfold more and more and as the kids start seem to be dying what kind of looks to be like suspicious circumstances or suicides that you realize the town itself has got like a hidden secret their parents have done something and this kind of entity is using their dreams to kind of come back and seek vengeance on their parents um and that's pretty much what the kids are it's just this tool of vengeance um it's the same vengeance that pretty much that they the parents did to him that he's going to do on their children pretty much as well and a lot of the film is kind of based of this one girl nancy and basically her parents their relationship and her kind of realizing that she is the only one that seemed to be able to control it or fight it as well because uh, she loses pretty much all of her friends in this till she gets to the end where she realizes the only thing that can stop freddy is to stop fearing him and to turn your back on him pretty much which obviously in that lesson she loses her parents and her friends pretty much but you know it's a lesson that she learns and it's a lesson that will stick with it's a lesson that will stick with her it'll stick, with her. It'll stick with her for a couple of sequels and then she'll be fine <laughs> and then she'll go over she'll, it look she can make new pals right she, beca- she becomes a therapist she, gets, she has a cool grey streak in her hair imagine that being your therapist or you think your life's bad you should, I've lost all yeah. my pals I had some bad dreams fucking... once and I lost a couple of friends because of it um, <laughs> but uh, Nancy is Nancy's an amazing character I think as well as she really is there's this amazing documentary that they made called uh, I Am Nancy and it's all about Heather Langenkamp um, like as this this character in general but this whole idea that she kind of now admits that she doesn't quite understand why freddy is the thing is the main character of this film because to her nancy is it's nancy's story and it's this idea that nancy's story of survival and it is this kind of way that these final girls when they kind of get created in horror films nancy's like one of the best ones out of it and to be fair i mean she is only technically in two of this like well she's only in two of the movies and then in the third sequel that she appears in she's not playing nancy she's playing herself and she is amazing her character development is great and i won't lie like part three when she dies i used to be i was very upset about that as a kid because she's such a good character but again nightmare now she does this amazing trick that psycho does that for the first 20 minutes you're led to believe that the main character of the film is tina 
and it's not and then tina's taken out of the film quite quickly uh because it technically follows tina initially and it's just really well done it kind of you don't know who is going to live or die when you first see it because you're not quite sure and again nancy and glenn as a couple and then tina and rod there's a very class difference between them as well I think, and it's kind of not really explained in the film, which I kind of love about it. Like, clearly Nancy and Glenn come from really affluent families, and they've got, like, nice houses that live across the road from each other, whereas Tina's mum is kind of at the beginning, you see, he's hooking up with some random guy, and Rod's, you don't even know he's a criminal, he's kind of this whole thing. So they're kind of a strange pairing of friends in a really weird way that you kind of don't understand, but, again, this seems to be normal, but then you realise the only thing that's brought them together is the fact that Freddie has done something to in the past to their parents it's their parents is the connection that's why they're friends uh deep down um so that's really my love for that i do I, I love nancy nancy's a good nancy's a good one it's a shame that she she goes in part three horror films at, the, at this time were sort of really only as good as their female leads i mean there was a lot of female leads oh yeah i mean the whole, you know, the whole was... genre is based on female leads and it's kind of amazing to see this quite it's a genre that is technically aimed at men but it's usually one of the rare instances that men will relate to a female character, especially as a lead, because they'll kind of empathise with her, they'll relate to her, they'll kind of they'll go through kind of her journey, and it's quite difficult for that because, as you kind of tend to see, that a lot of men don't go and see like women oriented films. But if you put them in a scenario like that, it tends to work better, and it does tend to work better with a woman than it does a man, compared to like any horror film that will tend to have a male lead. It doesn't tend to work. Yeah, look at you're saying right there. Look at all horror movies from the 80s. Alien, female. Yeah. Friday the 13th, female. Yeah. Halloween. Yeah. Like, uh, Hellraiser as well, there you go. Yeah. Like They kind of have to, I, I mean, it's, it's quite a difficult, I mean, I'm sure there's many reasons why, and there's, there's some great books that have been written on it, and the whole term Final Girl, it was created in this amazing book called Men, Women and Chainsaws, but, it created this whole idea of what the final girl and it was a very it was a very blueprint of what she should be she should be this kind of almost kind of virginal kind of book smart kind of girl and it kind of filled a template that she wasn't distracted by sex or anything that she would always see what was really going on at the time like in halloween that she's not distracted like by the night or sex like her friends are so she keeps seeing michael myers or like nancy nancy herself i mean i'm not judging her clothes but by the way she's dressed she doesn't look to be you know like tina she's not like tina tina obviously gets around and it's that way nancy <laughs> does not nancy does not get around and it's that way nancy is very kind of demure she's kind of like very different and she's very girly as well and i think it's that idea that that's what you want to see you want to see innocence being destroyed that sounds really sensor. corrupted yeah you want to see it kind of being destroyed one thing i really love about horror films and the like and stuff like that is they do have these female leads and they put them under some amount of distress, but these people are not damsels in distress. They are they're women who are faced with an option or a bad they've they've been dealt a bad hand, yeah. basically, you know. And it's this way where it's like it's like you said, they're not distracted by that stuff, and that's why they'll always come out on top because they're yeah. always focused on what's important. And that's the thing, you know, they are put against these these supernatural entities like Freddy Krueger, like yeah. Michael Myers, like Hellraiser, but they still come out on top because they find a way. You they know, usually have so to focused. lose everything to become yeah. out on top as well. And it's the idea that 
Nancy has no support, pretty much. Like I know we're saying that as she's like crying in the background, but she's got no support, and it's that way that um, her parents aren't supporting her. Her parents are obviously still kind of bitter from some kind of divorce that they've gone through, and her mum's a drunk, and it's that way. And again, her mum is a one of the best characters in this film, but her mum's a drunk and won't support her at all. And when her mum thinks she's doing something good for Nancy towards the end of the film by like locking her in the house, it's the worst thing she could do because it's the thing that kind of keeps keeps her trapped. But that moment that Nancy buys that uh, book about self defence and kind of booby traps, best bit of the film. She's going to booby trap the whole house up and she's going to do something. It's brilliant. It's that way that she's thinking practically, which is what tends to happen. That they don't think emotionally, they think practically. And then it's that way that Nancy is a survivor. And even with its ending of the film, which is quite ambiguous to know what's kind of going on, has everything gone well or not gone well? And I think everyone's got a different interpretation of the ending of the film. Um, Nancy still comes across as a survivor. I don't think there's any moment I've ever left that film thinking, oh, she's dead now. Yeah. Yeah. So, we've spoke a good bit about the plot. Let's talk about some supporting cast. Rod? Oh, uh, Rob? Rod? Rod. Rod, yeah. Rod, so what do you think of him? Bit of a badass? I think he kind of supposed to be. It's that way that Rod's... It's kind of a... It's a bit of a strange one. I mean, it's again, like I say, this whole thing, like, Nancy and Glenn... Nancy and Glenn could be brother and sister, almost. They look very similar. Uh, they dress very similar, quite strangely as well. But... Uh, I think Rod is supposed to be this kind of slightly Hispanic bad guy and stuff like that. But again, doesn't kind of come across that way. This is a guy that says up yours with a twirling lawnmower as an insult. So I don't think he's as bad as he makes out to be, really. With a what? A twirling lawnmower. It's it's quite a good line. He says it to Tina at the beginning of the film when she uh, makes a joke about his dick size. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... It's just how you, when you said that there, I was a bit confused. Up yours with a twirling lawnmower. I mean, it's a classic line, but it's, yeah, that's, that's mean, about the level of bad Rod gets, I think. <laughs> that's that's how naughty that's he how, gets. That's how like. bad he gets. He's in a jail cell, to be fair. But, you know, <laughs> that's because they thought he's murdered his girlfriend. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the thing about the characters in this film. At no point do you look at any of the supporting cast and go, you're going to get out of this. Like, yeah. you, 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 and, and part of me wants them to die. Is that bad? Like... Part of me looks at Nancy, right, and then looks at everybody in Nancy's social circle and in inverted commas, and just goes, just kill them off. Like, there's something just, I, I find a lot of the main, the, the supporting cast, and a lot of horror films generally unlikable. I think with Nightmare on Elm Street, though, I think they don't kill them off immediately as well. They take their time with the cast, and you don't really know what order they're going to go in as well. Um, I mean, obviously, you know that Rod and uh, Glenn are going to die. You know that, but you don't know when it's going to happen. And it does, it doesn't happen immediately. It does build up. Whereas, like, Friday the 13th is always this kind of cookie cutter of like disposable characters that will just be there as templates and then get killed off one by one. There is a kind of slower pace to Nightmare on Elm Street where you kind of don't really know what's going on. And I think that's the way the kind of the film works. I think that's what's really great about Wes Craven films as well. I mean, Wes Craven is either really hit or miss with films, I think. When he makes a great film, he makes an amazing film. But when he makes a bad film, he makes a really bad film. Uh, And there's a lot of bad Wes Craven films out there. But uh, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street will be that man's legacy. He will leave 
he what he has he left the earth and that was what he created that's what he gave us and i think that's why scream was such a big thing because he did it with a different generation i think in every generation wes craven brought out a horror film that was quite iconic in the 70s it was uh last house on the left 80s it's nightmare on elm street and the 90s it was scream so he's kind of given us this whole kind of three generations of horror which is kind of impressive for someone to kind of do yeah i mean like you're saying with him you know you know when he makes a good film he makes an amazing film when he makes a bad one it makes a horrible film, but at the same time as well, the difficulty to be a director and to consistently work in one genre, really, you know, his primary genre was was, yeah. was horror, you know, and I and I think as time went on, he was realising that people weren't as scared of horrors. Yeah, I mean, New Nightmare is one of the most meta films you could ever sit and watch, and it's, this is, it's made before Scream as well, and it's like, so this idea that a film kind of referencing itself and being completely meta in its kind of own world it was so smart and i remember when new nightmare came out and it was that way new nightmare was panned when it came out because a lot of people didn't like it because it was so different and i remember just being blown away by new nightmare i mean i was at school when it came out in the cinema and it was that way that just completely blown away how, how crazy smart it was uh and it is that way that yeah i mean there's so many hit or miss with it and it's that way that for every nightmare on elm street you'll get a deadly friend uh, with like Wes Craven or for every Hills of Eyes you'll get Hills of Eyes part 2 and it's that way that it doesn't quite work it just sometimes there's a little bit of money involved as well which is I, always there I think like you're talking with New Nightmare as well I mean like when you say that something's very meta and it refers to itself yeah. almost in the third person like it, it knows it exists yeah. you know that that is something that I think is just untapped in horror because yeah. that could be quite scary because a film that's meant to terrify you, referring to itself, can get in your head. Yeah, it I mean, you kind of don't really know what to real. do. Uh, and I think so, a lot of films are not doing it now, but I think there seems to be this kind of way that films kind of do. I mean, I think some of the last, like, Jason X referred to itself towards the end, and it was quite smart, and it was quite clever, and it was good to see. And there was a film that came out two years ago called The Final Girls, amazing film and it's completely crazed and it's about people being in a horror film that they watch all the time so they know how to respond to it and it's really really well done it's very emotional film as well but when new nightmare came out there was nothing like that at all so it was this kind of weird it was just con it's context of referring to itself actors playing themselves but not playing themselves but then also playing the character that they played in the film that they're referencing in it it's just it is a mind trip but it worked so well and it is i think now it's appreciated it's so much more appreciated but at the time it definitely wasn't uh it was kind of like slated a wee bit for being kind of like taking it going out the franchise i think if you look across the entire board of the nightmare franchise including the reboot the main horror ones would be one to three in the nightmare because yeah. like four onwards was what can we do to make Freddy Where's the get this fun line like, oh, yeah. how's this for a wet dream? Like that's that's probably the most iconic one of all. Yeah, in the line cheesiest well. line. I mean, to be fair, if you kind of look at it, every film with a Nancy is a good film. It's yeah. kind of the way it works. Uh, and I'm also including part two, which technically is own Nancy, which is Jesse. But uh, it's that way that it is. It's she. It brings the element. I'm not. I like part four. I won't lie. I'll do like part four it just slowly starts to slope off and it does get very gimmicky and when you kind of have the whole bit where they they play in the 8-bit game and all of a sudden or the bit where it kind of the comic book it is it gets so so gimmicky 
because it was a cash cow and they were making so much money and like that is why they refer to new line cinema as the the house that freddie built because new line cinema at this point is was, was nothing and literally all their money comes from kids came from nightmare on elm street you wouldn't have had lord of the rings if it wasn't for freddie because they made all that from that and it's like that's how much money that they made off this one character and this whole entire franchise they made billions off of it i think a lot uh i think a lot of these horror films at the time i think they knew the more they put out the less frightening they were becoming yeah because when horror films first came out i mean freddy was one of the first yeah you know it was terrifying to people people were watching this on a screen and people were like oh my god did this happen you know this is kind of and i think you know as horror films move on even nowadays you see it you know with like a cabin in the woods and that yeah they become gimmicky they become fun because that they're running out of ways to scare people i mean it's very rare now that i see a horror film that genuinely terrifies me genuinely and i mean any most recent ones i mean yeah, I mean, it's quite. I think it's quite a hard thing, but I think they try to make them too complex, and I think that's what it is. I think the more you simplify something, the more scary it is, and that's why you'll get films that kind of. Yeah, every couple of years I'll see something. It's very rare for a film to scare me. I mean, things like Nightmare Now, she didn't scare me as a kid or anything like that. But it was very rare. It's strange things that scare me. It's like scenarios or something weird that will scare me. But then though a film will come out that will freak me out, and then I'll kind of not like it, and then it's things like that because of that reason. These films now aren't i think the jump scares everything it's just it's so well planned and it's so well there's a formula to it and you can predict what you're going into if i'm going to go in to see a film called ouija i know that i'm going to sit and it's going to go through this exact formula and i know what's going to happen at the end of it same with insidious and same with like the conjuring you know what's coming of these films it's predictable i'll, I'll be honest honestly i'll be genuinely honest um the last film that genuinely terrified me and you might laugh at me for it was the very first paranormal activity film because purely because it was unexpected yeah it was it it was genuinely scary i love these films that happen through the sort of human perspective and you're just you're just an eye looking in you know and the first one it was very practical it was very like the first nightmare you know you were hearing like hoofs like yeah. heavy hoofs on the floor you were hearing you were seeing people getting pushed up against walls and that but that was because that was the first film really of its kind to go that far with it yeah it happens and like any fr- any franchise it'll kill it it'll kill it always well it'll take its own product and kill it like saying about uh, paranormal activity look at Blair Witch Project yeah that is when that came out didn't see it in the cinema got it out in VHS and that proper terrified me yeah. it's shot a different style you saw it from a uh, first person point of view a lot of motion sickness and stuff from that camera uh, filming style it's very claustrophobic Blair Witch that's what makes it scary well I think it plays in your mind that's the whole thing it's like it what is what you make out of it hence why you'll have people that will completely hate it and you'll have people that completely terrified by it because it's relying on your head to take you down that way and it's that way that what you're seeing you don't see anything in that film it's like psycho it's like you don't see that knife hit her once but what you imagine is what more is what's scarier and that's the kind of thing that makes it really really creepy and i think it works really well what you don't what your head's playing you don't see those that thing that's creating the hoofs noise and paranormal activity because you don't want to see it and what you think it might look like is terrifying 
but that's how people would go oh, that film's boring i don't i don't get it and you're like that's totally fine but that's just an imagination thing it's like people can let their imagination take you anywhere and other people need to see something visual i think with things you know like blair witch and paranormal activity it's very much believable in the sense of what would i do in that situation and the fact is is with blair witch for example all you're seeing is these these teenagers walking through a forest and weird things are happening and you're just you feel like you're there you feel like that's what makes it tense because you're like 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 you you can't actually explain what's going on and that's when people are at their most vulnerable and when they're scared when they can't explain what's going on and that again is why the first nightmare on elm street is so scary because you can't explain what the deal is with freddy what the extent of his powers are and why he's doing it that's why that's where the best horror films kind of get their audience because they're so unpredictable yeah it's when it's just it's a really i mean look where everywhere it's set in nightmare on elm street every set in the bedrooms it's set in a kind of very familiar scenarios but it's this idea that it's like that like like the whole thing of where they're running up the stairs and then the stairs turn into kind of this thing that's sucking our feet it's taking these normal elements a thing that you can you will see in your daily basis and then making something it's not completely strange but there's something not right about the scenario and that's what's scary and that's what makes it dreamlike as well because that's what dreams tend to be you can be in your house in a dream but something's not quite right or there'll be something slightly out of place and that's what i think works really well for nightmare on elm street because you relate to what nancy's going through but there's just something not right with the scenario and you kind of feel her in that way um like little things just everything going on she, you do feel that she's totally unsupported and it's that way that you go on that journey with her and i think that's what happens with these characters in horror films you go on the journey with the main character and then they, you kind of follow it and you get very invested in them as well something i want to go uh and steal from you james when we spoke about this a couple of weeks back and i never even thought of it i've watched this movie at least two or three dozen times throughout my life and you open my eyes to this. Yes, yes. Well, James, you mentioned that all the murders you actually don't see happening from what's happening in the dream. You see it in the real world yeah. each time. Yeah, um, thank you for reminding me about that because I totally forgot about that. So I was probably drunk. <laughs> um Honestly, I never forgot it because it shocked me because I was like, how the fuck have I never recognised this or picked up on this? It's something that, like, your three main murders, the three friends and Nancy getting slaughtered one by one. One in the bedroom being dragged up the walls. Second, hung in a jail cell. Third one pulled through in God knows what in his bed and you actually don't see it actually happening. Well, that's the terrifying thing about Freddy because you would see by looking at it, you think, oh, well, that's what's happening in the dream world. But part of you, your imagination can... Well, my imagination takes me to a place where Freddy is enjoying this. He lives for it. He loves it. So you're like, you see what's actually happening in the real world. Mm-hmm. You don't see what's happening in Freddy's world, in that dream world. And that's what's terrifying to me. Yeah, but I've, I've never really thought about it, to be fair. I don't know, because I think with that very first scene with Tina... You do technically see him in bed with her, but no one else can see it but Tina. But uh, yeah, you don't really know, because obviously it does play out in the later films as well. You get to see 
what's happening in their yeah. dreams to kind of to build up to it but yeah it's kind of taking it in a more realistic setting and i think that's what makes it a great film because there's always this kind of fantastic element about the later sequels they kind of got more kind of fantastic with their ideas where well, this film is so simple and just this way that the deaths, really... deaths are quite natural. Well, obviously, apart from maybe Glenn's, the deaths are quite natural. <laughs> quite natural. Those oh, two well. deaths in it are quite natural, apart from all the other ones. Uh, but then, even the mum's death technically is this way that it al- could almost be explained that she's set herself on fire in bed by smoking and she's drunk. So there's always these explanations of why it could happen. Basically, Rod's to blame for Tina's death. Rod hung himself. And Glenn exploded. That happens, right? That happens to people. People explode when they're watching television all the time. Well, he was watching <laughs> Miss New America. So, well, no. that's that, that's one of the things I love about the original Nightmare on Elm Street because I love the idea of actually not seeing what's happening in the dream world. Yeah. I like seeing Freddy give the chase. But see, when you see the death in the real world my imagination sort of like well i don't actually know what's happening in the dream world i can assume that it's something that's led to this yeah but not actually seeing it is more terrifying yeah it's like um w- w- what film is it when uh, johnny depp gets sucked into the bed this, this one yeah, yeah it's this one yeah fuck <laughs> i thought it was the second one or something watching. anyway yes i did watch right i just <laughs> I-, I love that death scene so much yeah but it's um he gets sucked into the bed and then the blood just comes up yeah you know it's like it's like, what is Freddy doing to him when all this is happening? And I, I, I just, I, I, I just kind of love it. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's. I think it's one of the most kind of fantastic moments that happen in the film. As in, it's a big build up to it as well. There's like a huge crescendo, and it's the bit that always stuck with me when you were a kid as well. Uh, that that happened. Um, like you always describe that to people, uh, or the bit with the blood that goes everywhere. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Again, just explaining that this is on in the background because I don't want to feel like when I keep referring to it, it's there. And then people are like, what are we doing? It's on in the background. Um, but again, like this whole idea that this moment as well, especially I think when she kind of realizes when she kind of goes in the dream clinic and then she realizes that she can pull him out of the dream. It's an amazing moment because then that's when Nancy realizes that she's got power over him as well. She's the kind of one that's quite smart to kind of think. And technically, you know, that way that she says earlier on in the film that she gets Glenn to guard over her because she wants to go find him. It's like She is like the one that's wanting to fight him, whereas no one else seems to be wanting to accept what's going on and they're all pretending it's not going on. Uh, and obviously, like, the mum's kind of thinking that she's like, pretty much the mum's like, she's mental pretty much, so let's do some of the best. But, and again, don't get me talking about the mum because the mum is just so fantastic. I just think she's such a great character. She is literally... A female equivalent of a drag queen i just think that she's like a drag queen that's what she says she's this fantastic woman she just sits and drinks all day she drinks peach snaps that's what <laughs> makes it even better and then that and just she's just actually uh, flawless the woman is flawless <laughs> she's an alcoholic who like does not support her daughter that's pretty yeah flawed. but even at the, there's a bit at the beginning as well i think it's after tina dies and when uh, nancy decides to go back to school and her mum's up like cooking breakfast or whatever she's doing and when nancy tries to take a sip of her coffee and she pulls it out of nancy's hand and you realize it's because it's full of peach snaps it's just like <laughs> the, it's so many levels that it works she hides it in the towel cupboard i mean she hides peach snaps in it. i mean it is and i kind of like the fact that there's a whole deleted bit as well. I don't know if you know. There's a deleted scene from Nightmare on Elm Street when Nancy's mom explains, uh, and she's called Marge. When she, when Marge <laughs> explains uh, that why Freddy's doing what he's doing, that Nancy had a sibling and Freddy killed her as a, as a, when he was a killer, 
and that's why he's come back to kind of get Nancy. And it's this whole idea that it g- gives a great more kind of gravitas to why the parents have split up, why she's an alcoholic, and why this is all going on. And it does, and I kind of wish they kept that back in because it was a great element to the story and they took it out. Um, because then you kind of realise why Nancy was his target and why he wanted her because obviously he had killed, um, I think it was a sister. I think it was a sister uh, that yeah. she had. Yeah, and I mean, I think obviously the reason why that inevitably got deleted was because they did try to keep the whole story with Freddy. It back. also doesn't give you good room for sequels as well. When you've kind of got a reason why someone's going out to get someone, then if, if you're not bringing that character back, then there's no room for a sequel kind of thing. It's like you're t- you need to change the element of the story. So I think it was kind of there's a lot of things as well about this film that kind of changed. I think during the making of and last minute, and as well, I think a lot of people don't realize that. F- Robert England kind of only became Freddy at the last minute because it was David Warner that was originally Freddy Krueger and there is like makeup of him like David Warner in full Freddy makeup who looked really creepy in the Freddy makeup he looked like a creepy old man because David Warner was older than Robert England um, and he's obviously a fantastic British actor who was in I think he's in some Star Trek movies I don't watch Star Trek but he was in The Omen he's the guy who gets his head cut off in The Omen um, and he originally was Freddy Krueger and he had to pull out of it literally a week before they filmed because of scheduling conflicts so Robert England got the gig and I think maybe that worked out for the best I think it's Robert hard to Eng- imagine anyone else in it because he, he's so iconic in it and he does make the role He I'll give him that he makes the role his own because when I was a kid and this came out the only thing you ever saw Robert England in was V because he was the good alien in V and you loved him. He's called Willie and everyone loved him and he was a great character. And then you were like, well, when you realised that, that that was all he was, he was like, the guy that plays Freddy underneath is actually this great guy that you loved in another TV programme. It was, remember, it was like almost heartbreaking as a kid. Yeah. Well, I think, I think we've been through, I think we've given that a rigorous look through. Uh, that is fantastic. I'm educated. Uh, but yes, so just to kind of sign off on that before we go into the actual logistical side of it what would you say your favourite thing about Nightmare is? Nancy and the mum just because they're both in that same shot together but Nancy always Nancy as I kind of got older I do kind of it's one of those films that when you realise that when you're younger you identify with the young character in it and as you get older, you identify with the adults. And you kind of think, I can understand what they're doing. Are now. you hiding peach snaps in the table? I, I always have peach snaps everywhere. It's, it's in that box. Uh, but basically, yeah, I kind of definitely, there's something about kind of Nancy's kind of battle for it as well. And again, she comes up with the best line ever. Screw sleep. Screw sleep. What a great line. Um, and she does, she kind of really fights back. And it was kind of one of the few females that fights back in kind of these movies. You've got Ripley, you've got Laurie Strode, and you have Nancy. And it, she'll always kind of be that. And again, she comes up with that amazing line when she looks in the mirror as well, uh, where she thinks, she says, God, I look 20 years old. I love that. It's like the biggest insult that she's ever said to herself, that she's supposed to like, oh God, I look 20. And she's supposed to be, I think she's only supposed to be about 15, 16 as well. So it's kind of crazy to think that that's the biggest insult she has in the film, that she looks 20. But she's amazing and she is a good character, very strong. And it is, and it does take you perfectly into Nightmare on Elm Street 3, which again, don't get me started because that's an amazing film. I think the favourite thing for me is the way the deaths are actually conceived. I mean, everything about this film is practical. And a good horror film, even more modern modern, modern horror films that use practical effects are still revered as fantastic because they do have that authentic- authenticity. I can't say that word. But, yeah, films that use practical effects do have a layer of being authentic and being real. CGI, I think, takes away, and I don't think horror films should ever have CGI. 
I think they should stick to their roots and definitely have the practical effects. I mean, I think those films just have a a wonderful layer to them when things are built and sets yeah. are made and, you know, it, it makes everything feel claustrophobic and tight and genuine, you know, and I think that's what these films need. Horror films to scare people need to give off an impression that it's real. I think to scare people, you need to give people an idea that there's a a set, there's a segment somewhere where this is believable. Yeah, I mean, there's so many great practical horror movies still getting made. And it is, I think sometimes the line blurs that you can't really tell the difference. It's so good that you sometimes think, oh, that's, that's actually CGI. And you're like, no, that's all practical. But it does, I think CGI does damage. It ages a film as well. Yeah, like, you look at a practical effect movie, depending on the movie, like An Evil Dead or something, yeah. that looks aged, like, yeah. really, really badly. But... Then again, you look at something with CGI, like, say, Freddy vs. Jason, which is an absolute bastard of the series, because even even the cornfield, even the fucking cornfield scene where Jason's slashing folk, fake blood, security guard, squashed by a big heavy door, fake blood underneath him. Sorry, had to get it out. I can't stand fake blood. Oh, how how hard is it to mix some fake blood and chuck it and then clean up? Freddy vs. Jason was really good. It was good, but it was good, but there is just where the it's a kung fu movie. It's a kung fu movie disguised as a horror film. They went okay for practicality. It's going to take a lot of effort to do all this blood, like spartan stuff. So just just we'll CGI it. It's a new thing. No, it shouldn't be used. End. Yeah, I mean it does. It does. I, I find it really noticeable when it happens and you think why have you chosen to go down that road uh, surely it could have done a lot easier and a lot quicker but then yeah there's so many films even Shaun of the Dead uses it and stuff like that sometimes uh, and it does yeah it would be great if it was but at the same time as some of these films you kind of expect oh this is going to be oh I mean I'm not going to go into the conjuring and thinking oh all these ghosts are going to be real it's like I know it's all going to be like CGI so I think you kind of expect it with some things when CGI works well it works well kind of for certain things but um like i say some effects that when they're practical they can look a bit hokey and they don't stand up the thing is an amazing movie but i can even see some bits of the thing that you're like oh uh, that could be done differently i want to get on my favorite point which is what i just touched on the practical special effects in this would it be the paint pots and the stairs running up the stairs or the scene where Tina pulls Freddy's face off. So good that bit. Like those tiny things make this movie stand out. Whereas if Which you were I've to never do it now, when he pulls her face off as well, because when she pulls his face off and it's a yes. skull, when he's putting his head through the door and he's wearing her face, yeah. I never realized that. That's yeah, kind of linked. It's, it's a kind of like, haha, fuck yeah, you, I'm wearing I've your friend's face. face. Yeah, I'm totally thinking that Freddy versus Jason will be next because I want to see you and Chris have a fight. The only bad thing about Freddy vs. Jason is Kelly Rowland. And that's the only no, bad the thing. The only bad thing? Because there is literally... The only fucking no, bad Kelly, thing? There's a Kelly Rowland drinking game when you actually have to take a shot every time she is either urban or swears. Because it's like she's trying to get rid of this whole Destiny's Child image. She just constantly swears the entire film. And then becomes really urban. And then you're like, I don't never classified you as that person ever. She's really bad in it, but Freddy vs. Jason's a good film. I don't care. Oh my god, Freddy vs. Jason's happening. We're going to do the drinking game. And there's also been a child molester and child killer. Freddy is a bit of a racist in that movie as well. Oh, yes. what a treat! Dark meat. Yeah, but then Kelly Rowland is also quite homophobic. 
Yeah. And she calls she calls him a Christmas swear a Christmas jumper, no a Christmas <laughs> sweater wearing faggot. Oh, which apparently they didn't write that line and they apologized for it uh, because she just said that line herself and they kind of pushed it all on her and they were like, yeah, we didn't write that line. Bitch. She said that Kelly Rowland gay hater. That's that's the the revelation. She's no Beyonce. Right. Well, another film for a different time, Mario. You've got some info. Yes, the. Production budget for Nightmare on Elm Street was $1.8 million. Mm. Yes. James, you've got three tries. Yes. Well, it made a lot. It made a lot. (laughs) Is that that your guess? It made a lot. (laughs) It made a lot. That's my guess. Um, I can't really say. You need to guess. Right, okay. uh, Can we also talk about his crop top as well? Sorry, just his crop top (laughs) totally distracted me. Just that... No, there's no way in the eighties. I was I'm I lived in the eighties. That is not that was never a look. It's never. it's Johnny Depp, he can get away with fucking anything. Mm, not apparently beating up Amber Heard. Or the Lone Ranger. <laughs> um so okay, um hundred? No? Oh. Lower, right. Are we talking about his original time release? Yeah, domestic okay. uh well what I've got here is only domestic take, okay. so this is US. Yeah. Alright, okay, uh, so not a hundred mil. Um eighty mil? Lower. Ticket prices were a lot cheaper then. Oh, right, okay. 50 mil? Wrong. 25 and a half million. But then remember, ticket prices were a lot cheaper back then. Ah, right, okay. If you put that into like today's terms, which was probably, the tickets have probably quadrupled in that time, so it's made well over 100 million. It would make it in today's terms. Yeah, okay, okay. But uh, I'm curious to see how much the whole franchise has made, though. Because the franchise will have made a fortune, like, for itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it's set New Line... Yeah, you're like right yeah. up. Then you know it's it's obviously kept going, and even today, like the nightmare films, people still enjoy them and people still watch them. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole generation that kind of are discovering them, which is kind of brilliant, and that's the whole the best thing about. I mean, I'll say that the best thing about kind of Blu-ray and kind of cleaning stuff up or Netflix and stuff and bringing these things, people will now watch it and they'll kind of see it, and I kind of love that people can kind of riff on it and they can kind of see the fun and stuff like that. I mean, there's not any point where I'm literally sitting here and going, "Nightmare on Elm Street is the best film ever made." It's not. It's there's a lot. To to make fun of in it and even as a kid there was a lot to make fun of in it but that's what makes the film stand the kind of test of the time it's a product of its time it's never going to go beyond 1989 it's that way that it, that's why you have sequels because the sequels then move the film on through different years and that's why you do it you're basically just rebranding your product every year that's why friday the 13th that was a remit the remit was they wanted to make 13 films and from 19 the plan was from 1980 right up to 1993 they were going to consistently make a film every year uh and it just kind of stopped because people lost interest very <laughs> well, much and ideas you can't really do anything after a while because yeah like oh we'll take them to manhattan in part eight no that didn't work that was boring we'll you take, take them, them to the space and x that was a really good film as well <laughs> the fuck it's a really good film it makes fun of itself. It really does. But that's oh, we love it. premarital sex, and then one's getting beaten. Are you trying to say that bit was not funny? That bit yeah, was actually it really was funny. funny, but or the bit it, where the guy gets, times, he gets stabbed with the huge screw thing, and he goes, "What happened to him?" Oh, he's screwed. That is a brilliant line. The film takes the piss out of a sci-fi films and itself, which is genius because then you realise this film itself they're self-aware of the franchise, which works because you kind of have to do that because 
when you look at part five of Friday the 13th, it's not even the real Jason, which is kind of disappointing. Part six is amazing, and they make zombie Jason, which is fantastic. Part seven, they think, what can we do? Or we'll just have him fight Carrie, which is kind of mental. And it's that way, then part eight, they take him to New York, and then he goes to hell, allegedly. And the next one, and the, the other one. And then, so you think, put him in space? They might as well. He's been everywhere else. Exactly. And it's He's like, a and dirty sellout whore. And Uber Jason was kind of cool. The metal mask was kind of cool. I, I can't see The Frozen Death head scene. Come on. There's so many good things about that film. Yeah, okay. That, that scene was a, actually a good kill. It's better than the remake. The remake was dreadful. Well, on that note, <laughs> you've just had a wee insight into the future. James, you're jumping the gun here. Aye. Rating? We never rated. I'm rating Nightmare on Elm Street a strong seven for being sexy and fabulous for its time. What's it out of? What's the... Okay, that's fine. I would have figured that one out. Thank you for that, though. (laughs) Uh, I'd have to go with a nine. Because it's one of the first horror movies that I saw. And it stuck with me. Nostalgia has played a major part on it. I still get scared days after I watch it. I've watched this like twice in the last like couple of weeks. And I've been creeping about the flat near shit scaring myself in the dark because of this movie. Which, that's what I want. I want to watch a horror movie that's yeah. going to scare me. Something that doesn't, I'm like, oh, what's the fucking point in that? There's two hours I'm not going to get back. I think a seven for me because this was the one horror film I could never watch when I was younger. My younger brother was four and I was six and he would watch it. But I just couldn't. There was something about it I didn't. I just it terrified me, and the reason why I get a seven is I get its credit for scaring me at the time. Now because I've watched all of them near mm-hmm. enough. Now when I go back and watch the first one, even though the first one is genuinely the scariest in my opinion, it's once you've lived through Freddy's puns and Freddy's humour. When I go back, that's all I see because yeah. they because they completely used them as a cash cow and they completely pushed them at it and, you know, it, it, that sort of takes it away from me. Oh, she's drinking she's her peach snaps. snaps. Out of the cupboard. <laughs> um, that's, that, that's all it is, but I still, I still rate it really highly. I mean, it's a film that takes itself seriously, but... But then does things crazy like the bit with the phone. Yeah. Yeah, it takes itself. It's like you can't think that moment is scary because it's just crazy. It comes out of nowhere, and you like again iconic, and it's that way that that's what works. It just takes yourself out. It takes itself seriously, but when it doesn't, it does it really well as well. Well, something to play on that you mentioned that the reboot done with the micro naps. At this point, Nancy said that I think she'd said like she was asleep for like uh, she was awake for like going on near seven days or something. So maybe that's a little bit part of it, like the phone. Ringing yeah, in the Freddy face on the phone somehow, that yeah. he's, that she's kind of day sleeping, yeah. like you know. Yeah. Well, that was a thing that even happened in the remake. It was like when people were gradually getting more and more tired, things would change. It would turn very Silent Hill. Things if, would. Unfortunately, when I became very tired of the film. Nothing changed. It still went very, very, very where you thought it was going to go. With the bad yeah. CGI mum at the end. I mean, come on, that bit was dreadful in the mirror. As that would just ruin the film for you, just in general. And you end. I mean, the whole thing is, I I'm not pr- protesting that that last scene with the mum getting pulled through the window is the best piece of effect ever because it's not. It's clearly a, a stuffed toy that's getting pulled through. But still, it's better than uh, that CGI ending. It's just dreadful. You can't replicate that. So, what would you rate it? Me, um, 
I oh see I I would give it an I would give it a good strong eight or nine, and I'm only saying that because of nostalgia. I was a Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth kid, uh, more than Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, but I do love them all. Uh, but it takes me back because I can literally vividly remember the night, and it was 1986. It was a Friday night. Mum and Dad rented it out. I can vividly remember it, uh, and I remember my mum and dad loving it. I remember my sister when she went to go see part three one night when I was a kid told me the whole story with the whole plot when she came home and I remember thinking it was fantastic. So it, it's a nostalgia thing for me with Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, so I'll definitely give it a solid date because I still think it stands up, definitely. Well, we've reached the end and yeah, let us know. No, no. Well, I'm saying nothing. Thank you, James. Okay. And this has been the inaugural horror Glaswegian Geek Show, which is very special and near and dear to us. Yes. There is going to be more. Chris here is now <coughs> officially full-time, unfull-time. Um, he will be doing horror casts with us, hopefully often. I'm sure you've got a list of films that you want to go through. Oh, I've got the biggest list. He's going to teach you, he's going to show you a whole new world. <laughs> he's gonna, he, this is the man that's going to tell you that Jason X <laughs> is, is a good film. Is the great film. And I'll be here to bring you back <laughs> down to earth and tell you it's shit. But it's set in space. <laughs> Not everything set in space is good, as as uh, Star Wars prequels have shown. That is also true. There, that's very true. There, I, would, I wouldn't compare Jason X to like Attack of the Clones. Oh, no, I was meaning uh, Episode One. You know, Jar Jar Binks and Jason are very alike. I I still believe if anyone doesn't like Jar Jar Binks, it's because they're racist deep down. <laughs> what? I'm a xenophobe. No, I just think people are just racist. I think it's that, that way that... Because I absolutely like Jamaican, despise Jar Jar. People, they don't like Jamaican people. That's what it is. No, I, I don't mean it's people, like but Princess Jar Jar Binks is an abomination. People weren't ready for a black princess. People weren't ready for Jar Jar Binks. That's what it was. No one will ever be ready for Jar Jar Binks. And on that note, <laughs> this is a fucking end. You can follow us at Twitter, at Glaswegian Geeks. Follow, give us a wee like on Facebook, at Glaswegian Geeks. You can listen to our stuff over at SoundCloud and iTunes. Just have a wee search for Glaswegian Geeks. And we are on YouTube. We will be uploading new content when we get round to it, James. Uh, at, funnily enough, Glaswegian Geeks, we like our continuity. And if you enjoyed this, please remember to like and comment and let us know. If you want, if you want to fucking tell me what to do, I'll do it, right? But you fucking just sit there. You're like being told what to do, bitch. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Anyway, rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> no, geek out. Oh. That's a geek out. Yeah. Oh, geek out.